Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. All right, Alan Questel. Very nice to have you on the Jason Wright Show, sir. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, so the the core of our conversation is going to lead to the practice of intentional acts of kindness and love yourself more, your latest book. And like yourself more. Like yourself. Well, I want you to I want to love, but you're, you're the author. Like well, uh, we can talk about why I chose like because it's very important, good, actually. very good. And so, yeah. just so the, so the listener knows, we just went through about uh, eight minutes uh, of Alan helping me with the pronunciation of his last <laughs> name and build in Christ, which is a practice he is an expert in. And uh, and then I go and I and I botch the uh, the title of his his awesome new book. So what? Uh, we're off to a great start, Alan. But I know that it's going to be a great conversation, nonetheless. If we can't make mistakes, what's the point? Come on, it's you know we're all human. So you know what's funny, it, and that this is that that happened is on my walk this morning. I'll often you know post these little you know videos that just kind of like, hey, this is what I've screwed up. This is what I've done. And one of my favorite quotes is, "Don't if you take yourself too seriously, no one else will take you seriously at all." And and then the little message I gave was about being able to laugh at yourself and. Mm. And when I learned to laugh at myself, admit my faults, accept my faults, man, it just it just makes life so much lighter and more fun, yeah. right? Absolutely. Not only to laugh at ourselves, but even to share a conversation like that, to say, I make mistakes, I screw up, you know? It's like, that happens. And I think people appreciate someone who's showing themselves as being more human than trying to hide their authority or their professionalism and stuff like that, so... Well, Maybe we'll make a few more mistakes now. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm the most human of, of humans that you'll ever meet. I assure you, my friend. Before we get into the book, so I know it's crazy. Whenever I was doing research, that is whenever on you for this conversation, I that's when I first learned of Feldenkrais, which is weird because, man, I told you, I am a health and wellness nut. This podcast has a, has a great deal of this content relating to health, wellness, longevity, health span versus lifespan, emotional yeah. wellness, all of this. And so I'm familiar with obviously yoga, Tai Chi, Pilates, I breath work, all of these yeah. different things. And so I got to tell you, I'm really excited to learn something new today about Feldenkrais and that's your wheelhouse. You actually studied under Feldenkrais, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So give this audience uh, uh, a little bit of an explanation of what yeah. it's and, and how you're acting. You were an actor before Feldenkrais, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how that journey led you there. Okay. So I was an actor and uh, I hurt my back doing sit ups the wrong way and I got better. And then a month later, 
I was wallpapering my acting teacher's bathroom, which is how I made a living, and I hurt my back. And he said, go see this Feldenkrais guy. And this is back in 1979. And I had read one of his books, and it was interesting, but the movement lessons in it made no sense to me. I went to a chiropractor, and he popped me, and then I had worse pain. So I went to this Feldenkrais practitioner, and he was barely touching me. And I'm from New York. I was living in New York then, and I, I was in my New York pace like this. And he was moving like this, and he was barely touching me, and, I, and it was expensive, and I thought, oh, this is a waste of time and money. And I stood up afterwards, and I had no pain. And I said, what? I said to him, what'd you do? And he said, I was helping your, your body do what it's doing. And I thought, well, it's a secret. And it puzzled me. And three days later, I was driving my car differently. I wasn't getting angry. The pain was gone. I went back two more times with the idea that maybe I could figure it out. And he touched me in the same way, but in different places, different qualities. And I was so touched, literally touched by it, that I thought, wow, maybe I could do this part-time and pursue acting. And then I embarked on a four-year training program to study with Dr. Feldenkrais. And at the end of that, I graduated and Within a year and a half, I had a waiting list. So acting fell to the wayside, although I work a lot with actors and acting programs and schools and stuff. And so what I do with them, now we'll get to the, the meat of it, the Feldenkrais method. So it's a movement technique that's based on learning. And that's different than something that's based on trying to fix or cure or change something. And some of the basic tenets in it are that we're looking to evoke a more skeletal use of ourselves. And the, the, the function of the skeleton in movement is to bear weight and transmit force. And we underuse that and overuse our musculature. So it's a very quiet deconstruction of our muscular habits so that can we, we can be more skeletal. And we also don't teach the right way to move. We teach a choice of way. So depending on the context you're in and who you're with, you might choose to act one way, move one way, or move another way. Now, the populations I work with varies from people with all kinds of neurological challenges to people with all kinds of pain, professional athletes, dancers, actors, people who just want to change or grow better at something and change something in their self-image. And the, there are two modalities. There's one's called functional integration, which is a hands-on technique, working with people fully clothed and I can guide people more to their blind spots about things about how they move or how they hold themselves that they don't understand and then provide a greater sense of connection through them skeletally. So the basis of it is connection. So what I do with a kid with cerebral palsy or a professional dancer or someone who has back pain, it's really the same idea. How can movement transmit more effectively through their skeleton? And people often ask, oh, so is it better than yoga? Is it better than Pilates? Is it better than Tai Chi? All the things you mentioned. And no, I can't say it's better. But what I can say is if you do Feldenkrais, your yoga will get better. Your Tai Chi will get better. Everything you do will get better. You'll have a different sense of yourself in the world and how you learn. So I described the private modality. The other one is for groups. And it, it's taught, it's verbal uh, movement sequences that I guide people through. And it affects changes in breathing, posture, range of motion, reduction of pain, changes in self-image. Now, the interesting thing about that 
is that the movements are done very small and very slow. And it's actually based on a psychophysical law that shows that with a reduction of stimulus, there's an increase in sensitivity. So it's kind of like the physical application of less is more, where you can feel more. And over the years, I've started suggesting to people that they move in a way that they like the way it feels. And that was part of the process of me coming to the place of really my job is to help people like themselves more. So it's, uh, I'll give you a, a full circuit there, how I got to where we are today. There's more details, but that's a good start, I think, yeah. There's so much there that I really like that it reinforces, a, a book I just read here recently is called Natural Born Heroes. And, it, and in that book, it talks about the genesis of parkour. Uh-huh. And, and, and the importance of fascia tissue in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stuck out to me in reading that about parkour in particular was what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's moving in the way your body wants to move. Uh, and, you know, of course, if anybody's ever watched, I guess it was Casino Royale, uh, the James Bond movie, that that's where all of a sudden parkour became uh-huh. famous and all the YouTube videos and then. Uh-huh fan of the office but i i love the office and then they had an episode that had a homage to parkour but a lot of the reason why these people can jump off these really high uh elevations and not break legs and ankles is because they do they they flow in the movement that their body is going in the way they like and one of the uh so the in this book it's about a real life event that happened during world war ii and one of these warriors in crete and on the the uh, Greek island of Crete uh-huh. tells one of these guys, if you don't like the way that feels, don't do it. If it yeah. feels better to move this way, do it. And then another thing, Alan, that you said that I think is that really hits home with me. And this goes with uh, what I'm learning about cellular biology, mm-hmm. just your body in general, in an effort to uh, to experience longevity and health span is right. the learning. What you said there is so important. Learning your yeah. body learning why it does what it does. To me, that's kind of key, right? Yeah, yeah, it's fundamental. And what it does is is it provokes a different relationship between the practitioner and the client or with with just someone working with themselves. Because look, the idea of accomplishing something is great, worthwhile, we all get satisfied from that, but it's a question of how we do it. If we approach it with this, this effortful kind of zeal, we end up hurting ourselves. And you know what you said, it's like, how, how do we do this thing so that it feels well to us, that we like the way it feels? And learning shifts everything. Now, a lot of people don't like learning. I, I was told once on one of my websites that, that the minute someone sees the word learning, they flip to another page. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's really true or still true or not, but I don't care because that, that's the kind of field that I'm working in like that. And, that means though, but then it brings up other questions like, how do we learn? Right? So like, if someone is doing a, a, a strong movement and they don't like the way it feels, what can they do to change it? And most of the time, we don't have a lot of information. Like I like to ski. And a few years ago, I decided oh, I'm going to get a skiing lesson. And this ski teacher, she was great. And you know what she did? She told me what it looked like, what I was supposed to do. But she didn't have any information to tell me how 
could I make it look different or do something in a different way? And it's that how that's the concrete thing that makes our lives more worthwhile because we get to practice something. So whether it's like, we haven't mentioned my book yet, but in my book, there's actually a chapter on liking ourselves more, right? And the way that we do it is by moving in a way that we like the way it feels. So like in a Feldenkrais class, that's emphasized a lot. But you're in a class for an hour, a week, two hours, whatever. If you can get up, and when we finish this conversation and both of us get up and we go to get a cup of tea or coffee, just, and it takes the moment of being aware of it, of just going, huh, I'm going to move there in a way that I like the way it feels. And that's different than going into the next room, already thinking about what I got to do next and seeing something out there and going, oh, I got to fix the sprinklers on the garden. That's just distracting. If I'm really moving in a way that I like the way it feels, it kind of grows in me and it becomes more and more of a habit. And I think probably one of the best examples of that for me is uh, so I train people to be Feldenkrais practitioners. It's a four-year course. And in one of my courses in Australia, we went through the four years with this idea of liking yourself more. And then at the graduation, when they each came up and I'd hand them their certificate, I can't tell you how many people would hug me and whisper in my ear, I like myself more. And I thought, you know, that made the whole thing, that makes the whole thing worthwhile for me. If I can bring a little more peace to people, yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I, I think also when you, like one of the things, and again, you're, you're teaching me something I've probably never considered. Now I do, I'm a very, I have recently become very aware of being in tune with my body just to understand, like you said, just as, as much as, as small as it is, just getting out of bed in the morning. Don't jump out of bed. Don't make it dramat- dramatic, dramatic, right. just ease, you know, and, and basically, yeah. like you said, just. I even explained this in a video I did uh, for one of my courses I teach that treat yourself the way you would waking up your four-year-old to get up. You wouldn't go in shaking them and jerking No, you treat yourself the same way. And I love what you're telling me as a way to practice loving kindness to yourself is to understand what makes you feel good physically. We always hear the talk about the emotional component to this. Uh, whether it's through self-affirmations or incantations, but I really think this is a pretty genius way. And I'm glad that you've taught me this. I want to look more into this because I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things I do just because it feels good, I, I don't practice yoga as much as I did, as I once did, but I will just lay in the middle of the living room floor and start doing a happy baby because oh. I'll, it feels good. It, it's right. a nice little stretch, but it's not too much. And it's just, right relaxes me and that's something that I do it for no other reason other than it feels good. So here, here's something that might be of interest to you. So first of all, I have many recordings of Feldenkrais lessons and afterwards I'll give you some information. I'm happy to give you a bunch of them. Okay. So you can learn about it and practice it. The other thing is if I lie down on the living room floor and just roll around, which is great, I'm still doing it within the context of all my habits. So it feels good, but I don't, necess- don't necessarily, it's possible that I learned something. And one of the ideas that we explore in, in the Feldenkrais method is to create more novelty in the movement sequences so that it's a surprise. You have to figure something out that you never paid attention to, and it kind of reveals our blind spots to us. And that way, it's like go back to skiing, right? Most people 
they ski, play basketball, whatever sport, play musical instrument, dance. And you know what? We all plateau. And then even if we get a lesson or instruction from someone who's more expert than us to help us improve more, we might improve a little bit, but then we plateau a little again. Now, Feldenkrais, because the movements are so slow and small, they interface at the initiation of the movement. So if we can make a change around the initiation of a movement, then the whole action grows in a different way. So when I want to improve my skiing, I don't think, well, I don't like push into my hips more, push my feet into the, into the snow more. I have to think, where do I bend? Where don't I bend? So that action, let's say of side bending. So I can look at my habit if I see myself on the video and just do that. Right. But then well, what happens? If I lift that side of my pelvis, did you see? I just went dramatically further. So, but how do we think of those things? Because for most of us, our attention only goes to what we know. So, and look, that's the whole thing about being more creative, being happier with ourselves, feeling that I can become my own authority instead of always having to go to someone else to learn something from. So we can teach ourselves better that way too. I love that concept. And it's one of the things I'm, I like most about being a, a content creator is just sure. bring out the, and the novelty. And also one of the things that, that um, you said, it reminds me of kind of Bruce Lee's methodology as an entertainer, as well as a martial artist. You know, he got a lot of flack because he would do things yeah. out of the ordinary that were yeah. kind of, kind of, and martial arts, very disciplined. You do not d d defer from what has been taught. I mean, and there's, you know, there's, uh, it's ancient tradition. So there's, a, I understand that. But Bruce Lee, he really bucked that trend. And, you know, he always said that his punches started at his toes. And right. he knew his body. And that's why he could, right. he could do things with his body that no one else could. For a lot of the reasons, I think what you're saying right now is he knew from a very uh, internal level what his body liked and how he could make his body flow and, and harness energy. So if, if I, you know, a question was asked to Dr. Feldenkrais once, can you describe the method in one sentence? And he thought for a while and he said, know thyself. Know thyself. And that's a context that I bring to everywhere I teach. Like, this is a really interesting way to get to know yourself because it's unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And you know, you spoke before about like how we look at ourselves emotionally to try to figure ourselves out which is great. And Feldenkrais had a very interesting idea of self-image, which is that it's comprised of our thinking, our feeling in an emotional sense, our sensing, and our movement, our actions. And a change in any one of those aspects is the potential to change the other aspects. If I change how I feel, it can change how I move. If I change how I think, it can change how I feel. But how do you change how you feel? We can, but it's a lengthy process. How do you change how you think? I was in Japan once and I was having, <laughs> I was having lunch with this Japanese man who'd studied linguistics at Harvard University. And we're talking at every long time ago, 30 years ago. And, and, you know, he kept looking at me every once in a while and going, you're so Western in how you think. And I was so insulted because I thought of myself as being so Eastern in how I think. And I've taught a lot in Japan since then, and I realize I'm really Western in how I think. I have no idea what that's like. So changing how we think is really complex. Changing how we sense, that's like brain study and research. I mean, we have, we're still learning so much about that. But if you change how you move, 
It's immediate and concrete. And I relate it to action. So if we change how we act in the world, we might have a whole bunch of feelings that come up around it, but it's our actions that are really the tell. So if I, if I talk about kindness, if I want to be kind, it's only in my actions that it's really represented. It's like I heard once that someone said, you can't say about yourself that you're humble. Only someone else can say you're humble, right? The same thing with being kind. I can think that I'm kind. I know many people who think they're kind. I don't think they're that kind, not from my values. And I know many people, unfortunately, who don't think they're kind and they're some of the kindest people I've ever met. So we're back to this whole range of self-image and liking ourselves more and trying to tease it apart so we can take action in a, in a practical way. This is gold. This is, I love this. <laughs> and here, here's why. It's because there's so many things that I, I told you, I'm a health and wellness junkie. Okay. Right. So the Navy SEALs, they have... Yeah. They have a statement or a, a motto that slow is smooth and smooth mm. is fast. Yeah, that's right. One, one of the things that you just said there that I have practiced unintentionally, um, it just, well, I learned it from that concept when I'm doing things, especially if I'm in an anxious state, let's say it's early in the morning, I'm kind of in a rush. What I, what I will now do is I will literally, I'll cognitively tell myself, move slow. Yeah. It's amazing how you don't knock things over, you don't bump your toe, you don't hit your elbow, you don't right. knock things off a, off a counter when you just go slow. And the thing is, you're not, it's not like you're going to start moving in slow motion. It's just it, there's right. everything starts moving at a at a more calculated pace. And and then also what you're saying it confirms what we 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 know. Any counselor that anybody has ever seen, like if their relationship is in trouble or whatever, they will tell you. Feelings follow action, which confirms mm -hmm. precisely what you just said. And I think also is a great segue into uh, your new book. Okay, great. So, so kind of tell me how you, how you married this concept with the ideas in the book. Okay. So the first thing was I told you the story about asking people to move in a, in a way that they like the way it feels. And to me, that, that's an intrapersonal process, something I do with myself that's of value to anyone. I, I, I actually, whenever I teach, I often ask people, well, before I go into this, is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And people kind of, they smile like you just smile, right? They kind of think, and I've never heard anyone say no. Once in Norway, a woman said, I already like myself. I said, that's great. But would you like to like yourself more? And she was like, okay. I'm like, well, that was a little weird, right? So this idea of liking ourselves more is intrapersonal. And then I thought, how do I make it interpersonal? And actually, before I had that thought, I had a few experiences where I did a kind of spontaneous kind act. And I noticed in the next moments, I felt good about myself. I, I, I was like, that's how I, that's how I want to feel in the world. And it's not to say, I'm just going to do a bunch of kind acts to build up my own self-image. It's that, how can I be a better person in the world? And that relates to other people. And that's where the idea of being kind came into, into my mind. And you know, it's interesting. It was when I started writing the book, I was, I was, I was moving along at a pretty good pace until I got to the part about being kind to ourselves. 
I stopped writing for five years. Really? And I, yeah. Yeah. It was like, I need to learn about this. It's, so many of us are so good at being kind to others, but not good at being kind to ourselves. And after about five years, I went, yeah, I'm ready to, to write about this again, to put forth some of my ideas from my own experience and understanding, which I'm still learning about. You know, it's like none of this is a finite process, whether it's kindness or liking myself more. And actually, maybe I shouldn't say this, but the bad news is, is the more I like myself and the kinder that I get, that the next hurdle to be kinder or like myself more is even a bigger step. And then I feel, oh, wow, will I ever get there? You know, that's really a challenge. And there, there was one other thing that really influenced um, the writing of the book and the idea of kindness was about my father, who I was never really close to. We didn't have a bad relationship, but, you know, it's kind of a neutral, not, not very connected relationship. And late in his life, he ran out of money. And fortunately, my brother and I could help him. And then he got dementia and we had to put him in a home and he was in Florida and it was the summer was coming and my stepmother was going back to New York for the summer. And I thought he's going to be all alone. There's no one to visit him. I don't know where I got the idea, but I just thought I'm going to start calling him every day. I was living in California then. He was in Florida. Time difference worked really well. And I'd call him for five minutes, maybe three minutes, five minutes at most usually. And he knew who I was. Sometimes he talked gibberish, but I did that. Every, and I can't tell you how often I did not want to make the call. It was like, ah, he won't remember. I don't need to do that. And I did it. And I always felt better afterwards. And I did that for three years. And after three years of doing that, after he passed, I'd, in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd, oh, he's gone. I can't call him. You know? And I have people in my life now some very old, not that well, some young, who I'd go out of my way to speak with them about once a month. And so often they say, you know, no one calls. I'm so happy to hear from you. It's always great. And then they feel bad that they don't call me. And I go, no, no, that's not what it's about. So those things, kind of the Feldenkrais method and the intra and interpersonal process of liking ourselves more and doing kind acts is what really motivated, motivated me to, to write the book. So I just had a uh, friend of mine, it's been about a little over a year ago, that passed away unexpectedly, very short. And, I mean, he was only, I guess he was close to my, he was in his 40s, I, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had not talked to him in quite a while. Our daughters grew up together and he used to just randomly text me, what's mm -hmm. up? We would never speak. I had not spoken to him or seen him in probably five, six years before he, he, he passed away. And then we go to the, the, I go to the service and it's, it's just packed. Right. And the pastor, he asked, how many of you received just a random text out of the blue from Chris? His name was Chris Pate. Yeah. You know, the whole room stood up. Mm -hmm. How many of you did Chris invite you to go fishing randomly? So many people stood up. Huh. This man lived the kind of life that we're talking about. And it just, it just, just, there was no reason, no ulterior motive. Right. Yeah. It could be somebody like me that wasn't necessarily close to Chris, but he was just always thinking about other people. Yeah. And Alan, what did you notice when you started doing this? Just 
feeling a sense of one a, a resilience to insult or resilience to kind of the the ugliness of the world because you were so filled up with uh you know exuding kindness because i think that's what a lot of people right now we're living in a pretty ugly time yeah i know i know and so did you start to like the punches started just kind of hit a little softer if you were to like get cut off in traffic somebody throws you the finger because you accidentally pulled out in front of them did you start to see some changes like that well mostly the car's a difficult challenge there's no question about that you know um i don't know that i exude kindness i i think I think when I hear you describe this person, this friend of yours who passed, the word that comes to mind for me was how he stayed connected with people. And to me, that, that connection, that idea of connection, whether it's just with myself in a better way or with others, that's at the, that's at the foundation of it, right? And it may show up like your friend who sounds like a remarkable human being to do something like that, to think of that, right? And so, but it, it's, it's as if, so the, the, the quick answer to your question is yes. I think I'm better at responding without reacting. Okay. But then I find that my, every time I feel like I'm at a, a more accomplished level of being able to navigate these things, someone comes along and shows me how much I don't know and how much I have to learn and how do I have to go about doing it. And that, really is it's like you know you, you said something before about waking up in bed and reminding yourself to go slow but there's something in that which is that moment that you remind yourself that means you you observe something you caught something that's really challenging yeah. to remind ourselves more and more now i can i can tell you i told you before that you know liking ourselves more being kinder the challenges get more substantial with each level of ability that we gain. Uh, can I read you a quote from the book? Yeah, please do. It's not my quote. It's a quote from Ramdas, but it, it speaks to what I'll talk about. So he says, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees and some of them are bent. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, and so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you're constantly saying, you are to this, or I'm to this. The judgment mind comes in. And so, I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. Now, what I love about, I mean, that, that quote, when I found it, I went, oh, that's brilliant. There's no question about it. All the things that I write about in my book, I can say I'm pretty good at doing them, whether it's about listening or the levels of generosity or tough love with people. But when I read this, I went, oh, this is my next level of challenge. So like, I could be sitting in an airport and I'm just looking at someone and I'm making up a story about them, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. And now if I can catch that moment, I used to try to think of this quote and it was bloody too long. So now if I see someone and I'm, if I catch myself doing that, I just go tree. And it's like all the noise I created just dissolves. 
And now I'm kind of looking at a, another human being, not who I think they are and who they should be, or I should be, all that noise like that. And so that, so, you know, in terms of like exuding kindness, well, I, I, I'm good at paying attention. I'm getting better at it. But after reading you this quote, that's how far I have to go because I still do that. And I don't think that, I'm not, I, I, maybe I used to think that all these changes we want to make in ourselves, that we get to a level where, okay, I'm done with that. I've eliminated that. And I discovered it's not realistic. What I can do is spend less time ruminating like that. And then, so if I catch it sooner, I'm not wasting as much of my own time doing that. And maybe then I'm exuding something more, you know? So maybe it I think it works more that way. So I want to talk, because I mean, I've been in that exact same, I guess, self-development aspect of life where I do the same thing. Because I tend to look at people based on a lot of different factors and I will, I will write a screenplay of their life within <laughs> and <laughs> and I, and I've tried to catch myself because one of the things mentioning your father I you know I've had uh -huh. challenges with my dad and one time a counselor told me you've got to understand every way he reacts is only because of the world in which he's lived it's it, his filters right. have, we know this from uh -huh. all sorts of psychology that everyone uh -huh. has their own filters and their own experiences that have dictated the way they act the behave the things mm -hmm. they offended about the things that they accept right so i've tried to be better at, at at understanding that and i think that's and this is where i want you to kind of elaborate on is that where the intentionality comes in because that's a when, when i saw this that word in the title of your book my wife who is my hero i adore her She's, she makes me an infinitely better man. And one of her favorite words is intentional. Be intentional. And she's told me with my father, she said, look, it doesn't matter how he reacts. Right. Just be intentional with yeah. reaching out to him, doing exactly, Alan, what you just said, calling him. Text. It doesn't yeah. even matter if he responds, right. calls back or anything. You be intentional with your time and your attention because yeah. the because it's it is in that case, that is more about you, not the other. They're the beneficiary of you trying to improve who you are as a person. Am I getting that right? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Now, but the, the the idea of intention, and you actually described it in in, in what you just said. But I want to emphasize it that I know many people, and I have done it in the past, that I've had good intentions but I didn't act on it. Right. And so that's why it's practice intentional acts of kindness. Because without the practice part, it doesn't add up too much. There's a lot of good thoughts. It's really nice. You have nice conversations about what you're going to do. But the fact is, and it needs to be, we need to practice things in a way that they're, they're possible for us. Because often we have this intention of this grand scheme. It's too big. We want to practice something Little, small, you know, it's like, you know, you talk about your friend who passed. Well, one of my best, my best friend just passed. He was a neuroscientist and he, he I have a story about him in my book and, and in it, we, we were in New York where we both lived and, and we were, went into the bank and he was in front of me making a deposit 
And all of a sudden, I heard him say to the teller, how's your day going? And, and I, you know, I kind of looked up in New York that we don't, we didn't do that. You know, maybe in the South more, I don't know. But, you know, I was like, what? And he started this little conversation with this woman. She was a little taken aback. But then you could see when he left, when I got there, she was already in a better mood. And, you know, I, I, I thought, I, so I came up with this idea of intentional chit chat, right? The idea of just asking someone, how are you today? You know, I do it on the phone all the time. The airline representative says, before they say, what can I do for you? And I say, well, how's your day going? And they're, they're always taken aback. And I think it's a script. They always say, thanks for asking. How's your day going? But that's fine, you know, but still. I have the intention to do it, and it, it doesn't need to be a long conversation. What it does need to be is not, how's your day going? It, it needs to be, you really need to pay attention, I need to pay attention to the person that said, how are you doing today? How's your day going? And, and, and I love that moment of them just, huh? Wait, but we're back to this idea of an intentional act that we can put into practice. And that, that's a simple one, right? We do that all the time anyway. And sometimes I'm not in a good mood, you know, or something has happened or I'm thinking about something and someone comes up to me, a waiter or something, and, you know, instead of just, oh, I want this, you know, I say, how's your day going? And I don't say it with the enthusiasm of how, it's like, how's your day going? I know mine's not going that well, but I don't need to tell them that, you know? Right. And so... It takes these little acts of kindness that are about connection. And that's what I think grows and builds in us. Well, and when I, when I think of that, like, cause I, I do the same thing on when I'm on a call with a, either a telemarketer, I have to call, which one of my worst nightmares is having to fix something with my cell phone or whatever, having to call one of those books. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of like, you know, like Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. It's kind of breaking the fourth wall because it, yeah, it, that's right. So much of life is in those moments are just improvisations. Like, okay, so here's your script. You're, you're the person at T-Mobile. I'm the customer. Okay. You ready? All right. Go. And, you know, and, and when you can like break the fourth wall and like disrupt and do some improvisation, yeah. it gets a lot more fun. And what's really cool about those moments for me is one, and I, I listened to a video of yours a while back. You probably relate to this. You, you said something about how your humor can kind of get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I love humor, and I like, I, and I don't take life so seriously that I'm ever going to completely shun humor. Because if you know where it's well placed, and you, and if you can get someone to kind of get a slight chuckle on the other end, a cashier or, or right. just one that you're interacting with, yeah, just all of a sudden, okay, stop intermission. Okay, so we're not acting anymore. What right. can I help you with? It yeah. just changes the entire temperature of the engagement. Yeah. So I think that is, and now the cool thing about your book is you actually give some actual ways to execute on this, right? So share with this audience some of the kind of methodology sounds a little bit lofty, oh, okay. but just some ways to, it's so silly, Alan, but how to execute kindness, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And I think it's good because let me tell you something. There is a restaurant that I love here here in Tyler. It's it's amazing, and, and you, if you start to see this a lot here lately, while because so much of our society is unkind, it's not unusual to go to a restaurant and say, "Be kind and be kind and have fun. Be kind." 
But a lot of places in a lot of these days, these days, a lot of people, depending on where you are, to be kind means agree with everything I say. Don't ever <laughs> challenge me. Yeah, that's their version of being kind. Right. What I love about your book is it's it's true specific kindness that, by the way, it fits for everyone. It doesn't matter what you, if you no. believe, but no, it's act, the action of being intentionally kind. So with that yeah. rambling lead up, talk about some, things, some of the actual practical ex- action items so, from the book. So one of the things was what I just talked about intentional chit chat. And, you know, when you were describing your thing on a helpline with your phone or something like that, yeah. one of the things I've added to that, it's not in the book, but, but uh, you remind me of it, which is if we're, if we're, you know, we're on hold for a long time and I'm, we're both waiting and I say, so where, where are you? Where do you, where, you know, and just that, you get into a whole conversation. So now in, in, in terms of being kind to people and all of the things that I write about have to be taken as approximations that you may not be able to fully do some of these things at first, but with practice, you get more comfortable with it. You get better at it. I'd say a big one is how we listen to other people, but how we listen without responding before they're done. So that we're really just kind of, and it kind of like, I look, even when I say that just now, when I think of that, I, I did this, I kind of pulled myself back a little bit, right? Just to be able to be able to take this in as opposed to being here, like just ready to say what I want to say, you know, when you're done. And did, did I, was I, was I really hearing the person? Many times when I'm really listening to someone with someone, I don't respond. I just go, that's, that's interesting. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm glad you feel that way. Or something like that. So listening is something I talk about generosity. Generosity is a tricky thing. And a matter of fact, in, in most definitions of kindness, it's equated with generosity. But I know many people who struggle with generosity. I did that we give to get, mm-hmm. right? That it's about more about my self-image than anything else. I don't understand an appropriate level of giving sometimes. And I have to figure that out with different people. I, I use the... Goldilocks and the three bears is a kind of metaphor for it. With one bear, she gave him a gift that was too little. And one bear, she gave a gift that was too big. And one bear, she gave a gift that was just right. The question is, how do you know it's just right? Right for you or right for them or both? That's a tricky thing. So that, I talk about tough love, about being honest, which people too often equate with criticism, but being able to say something directly to someone, like like I have a friend I spoke to this morning, and, and they um, they can go into like strong negative loops. And this person described something positive about someone else, and immediately turned it into something negative about themselves. <laughs> and and I, I this was maybe not too kind, but because it did upset the person a little bit. But I hung in there with them, and I said, "How do you do that so fast?" And they said, what? And I said, you just were talking about something positive and you created it as something negative for you. And they, they, you know, they said, you know, I, I feel like you're on me too much about that. And I went, okay, I can back off. But as your friend, do you want me to not do that anymore? Because if I don't do it, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to pull away more and more. Because honestly, that kind of conversation is tiring. 
you know, it's kind of like, oh, here we go again, you know? And it's like, instead of saying, here we go again, and just pulling away more and more, I can go, no, I'm going to say something. And now here's the other tricky part, and I talk about this in the book too, is how do we say something so it doesn't sound like criticism, so it's not offending the person in some way? So these are just some ideas about how to be kind to and with others, but then the idea of being kind to myself, that's more of a challenge. And it's directly linked, I think, to liking ourselves more. So, you know, I have one exercise in there where I talk about learning to do one thing well. Just one thing well, you know, and something that no one knows about, that no one can check in with you about, that you're the only gauge for how well you're doing with it, that you can practice every day. So it needs to be something that's regular. In my book, I talk about brushing my teeth better, mm -hmm. you know? And if I didn't do it, oh, okay, the dentist knows. I know, no one else knows. Yeah. But what was interesting, as I got better at practicing that, other things came up. I realized, oh, I create these same negative uh, circumstances in other areas of my life. But now I understood it a little bit more. I have more means to do it. Or taking, like, you know, you talked about calling someone intentionally, right? And the understanding, which I think is great, of how we're doing that. I'm doing that for myself, not to get a response back. And I talk about, well, what if I want something from someone? My partner, someone I work with, I can tell them directly, or maybe I can't, right? But if I think of what I like, if I like my, my partner to make me a coffee every morning, but they don't, and I grumble, and it's been 15 years, and they still don't, and I just, I thought, I'm going to make the coffee. I'm going to give myself what I want others to give me. And then what I discover is while I'm making the coffee, maybe I'll make her a cup. Mm -hmm. Then I come in and I was like, well, what are you doing? I'm giving you a cup of coffee. Why? I just made myself one. I thought maybe you'd like one, you know? And it's kind of like, it's these actions. Now, I, I'm describing them as like they're simple things to do, but they're not. They're really a challenge because so many conversations come up in us that stop us from doing it. And there, I talk again about this, about self-image and our feelings. There, we need to learn to be able to differentiate our feelings from our actions. So I can give you an example. So I've meditated for many, many years. And in the moment, and I would always do it first thing in the morning. And if I thought just for a second do I want to? Boom, I'd be back in bed. I wouldn't get up. I would just say, do it. And I'm not talking about do it like the Nike ad that kind of we can possibly ignore ourselves and hurt ourselves, but that I can, I, I can feel I don't want to and I'm going to do it. Because once I'm sitting there, it feels fine. You know, then it's not an issue at all. Right. And so, and these are complex self studies, whether it's in relation to others or in relation to ourselves too. Here's one that really caught me. When I was writing the book, I was writing about generosity. And one of the exercises is if you go to a restaurant and let's say you normally tip, let's say 20%, that for every $5 you tip, add another dollar. So if it's a $20 tip, you're giving them $24. And that seemed like, and this is always in proportion to what you're really capable of doing as well. So I just finished writing this chapter. I'm in a restaurant with some friends. I pick up the check 
and it's $70. And I thought, well, if I add 20%, it's about $85. And I take out my wallet and I have $100. And I immediately thought, well, that's too much. And then I went, no, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And in the next minute, I felt so uncomfortable. My mind was racing with the shoulds and shouldn'ts and stuff like that. But I did it. And when I got to the door to leave, the waitress came up to me and said, you just made my night. And I went, huh, that's interesting. Like I was just teaching in France. And in restaurants there, you don't tip. Right. But, but I do. It's right. so I don't get hard. My wife and I just got back. It's so hard. For really us, hard. Our minds. It's really hard. And, and, you know, I don't give like 20%, but I'll yeah. give, you know, 10 euros or something like that. And the people I'm with are always a little, well, they'll be really happy with that. You know, I mean, so, but little things like that, that, that are concrete, that we can practice, that are reasonable to practice too, that it's not something that you're going to be great and kind and try to, you know, just try to pump someone up without supporting it with some abilities to do that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you said that I think is just a, a genius practice, and, and I talk about it all the time. I call it, go build a birdhouse that no one's ever going to see because you, oh, yeah. you will know whether the birdhouse sucks or whether it's a good birdhouse. You won't have the, you won't have someone giving you false. Like, oh, sure. Well done. You know, even though it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and so and it's like content creation. Like I right. write books for the love of it to, to improve me. I, and yeah. Or this podcast or anything I create. There's so many things I create that I write that no one will ever see. Yeah. Or inner, just so that, because it feels good to create the, and it's, it's literally to make me better. Right. This is, I love this idea of like the tip. Because I have started to get better about just going, I'm going to do this because like you, how cool is that feedback to know that you, it had, it was a few bucks extra in the grand scheme of things, but had right. such a disproportionate impact on this other right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then when you start to learn to do these things that, that you purposely make sure no one else notices or knows it's just a thing you're doing um, internally, it makes such a difference. Another thing though that you said is kind of a sidebar. I tell you what, man, the people that when they're talking to you and that whenever you're tell when you're telling them something, they're just sitting there using that as a prompt for what they're going to say yeah. next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Al, Alan, I've got a certain relative that <laughs> can make every, you could be talking about the price of beans in China and somehow, some way, if they had never had a bean, never, never been to China, they would figure out a way to tie your story. Heck, you could tell them a story about how you went to China to buy beans and you owned a bean plantation. Pretty interesting story. And they would somehow figure out a way to try to one up you with a 45 minute story about right. them. And it's yeah. like, and it makes story you just can't even. Oh, so he, he, here's, here's something that I think is important in something like that. Cause we all know people like that, right? right? We all do. They demand a certain kind of attention and have a certain need. And my experience. And my fantasy about others is that that person doing that with someone else, the person they do it with is doing this mm. internally, at least mm. they're pulling away. Now, if you think about it, I actually, let me tell you a story because it's in the book. Okay. So I'm on a plane. I'm on the aisle seat and across the aisle, there's two seats and two women there. One's Asian. The other one was a little special and she was like, 
talking, 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 and looking out the window and saying, oh, I could see my luggage. It's amazing. I've never been on a plane before. And, she, and the, the, the Asian woman's reading, and she says, oh, can you see your luggage? I can see my luggage. You want to look? And she said, no. And she says, are you Japanese? I've never met a Japanese woman before. And the woman said, I'm Korean. And she's trying to bury her head in the book. And, and, and she's talking, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, eight hours of that. Oh, my God, poor thing. Turn around again, and the Asian woman is gone, but the other woman's there, and she catches my eyes, and I just kept going. And I kind of ignored her, which is her experience of the world, largely. A little while later, I look back again, and the Korean woman's there, and I go, I have to ask, what's going on? And she says, well, I complained to the flight attendant, so they put me in business class, but then this woman wanted her turn in business class, and I'm thinking... Oh, the poor person in business class now, right? And so then I turn around again and the woman's back, the, the special one, and she catches my eyes again. And I felt myself do this and I caught it. And I just went and we started talking. We talked for five minutes. Yeah. When I said, I'm going to go back to my book now. Is that okay? And she went, yeah. And I realized her world exists of people pulling away hmm? and now, people then say, but now they're going to want to be a friend and stuff like that. I've never had, even people in my home community, I've never had that happen. Gotcha. They're just grateful that someone gave them some attention and didn't feed into this, this, the, this, this context of everyone's pulling away from me, which makes them even needier. So, you know, you, 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 the person in your family is doing that. The next time, if you have the muster to do it, to not only listen, but to start asking them more questions. Yeah, and, and, and to not need to tell your story, our story again, you know, that's a, but yeah, that's a, that's a good example. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I have. And I do think that's a beautiful thing. Cause I think you're right. You, what you did with that, uh, the person on the plane is you, you just gave her the reason to stop fighting for the attention. Yeah. It is right. a gift. Yeah. And, right. and, and that's what I have. And I do this. When I go to parties, I go in and, and again, it goes back to slowing down and consciously thinking about our actions and how we're going to pursue whatever endeavor. I never go to a party now with any other intention other than I have to walk out of here knowing more about everyone I talk to. Right. They know about me. I don't yeah. need to be known. I, and, and I get it. We're all different. And I don't think that I've mastered anything at all. I just. I don't need people to know everything there is to know about me. And right. therefore, and I'm just, I'm just not climbing or fighting for anything, which is, right. you know, just a part of life I'm in, I guess, you know, at 48, you, you stop the climbing and you just, if you don't know where you are and you're, you know, or you're not happy yeah. with where you are, God bless you. But, right. and so I have, and that's what, what you mentioned there, I think is a great strategy when I'm talking to either the narcissist that just wants to tell their story all the time or, or anyone else for that matter, I do try to ask, and it's, it's almost like calling someone by their name. Yeah. When you ask someone a question, and it, it works both ways. If you ask someone a question that wants to be heard, it means everything in the world to them. But yeah. also, when you're talking to the jerk know-it-all, you ask them a question, and I don't know if there's, I, I guess it was James Lindsay and um, uh, Peter Bog. A Gosian professor, they wrote a book on how to have impossible conversations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they said is when you're dealing with the dogmatic kind of person, if you will ask them a question to calm them, if you go, 
I don't know much about that. And I want to know, know more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really, it kind of either one puts them in a position of defending their argument and you get to be kind of at a higher level in the conversation or yeah. it just calms them to go, okay, I don't, I'm not on a job interview. Right. And just, there's little tactics like that, but it goes back to what you were saying. It's just processing and being intentional with right. your, being intentional yeah. with your intentions, you know, right. yeah. it's very important. You know, there's another body of work that I think feeds into that really well called nonviolent communication developed by a psychologist, Marshall Rosenberg. And it's really about making very clear observations about what's going on and then identifying the feeling and the need and maybe making a request. So like sometimes when I teach, I can get challenged a lot. Like I'm teaching adults. I'm not teaching kids, you know, and they can really challenge me. Right. And I used to respond by answering the content of what they challenged me with. And it almost never was satisfying to me or them. But now I've learned to go to a place where I'm interested in what are you feeling right now? I, and I don't have to say it. I just have to listen from that place and I can respond differently than that. But it's all about listening, connection, all the things we're talking about. Oh, can I come back to something that you mentioned in the beginning? Oh, oh certainly. Yeah. So, so you talked about practice. You were reading the title of my book, Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Loving Yourself More. There you go. Liking yourself. Right. And what's the difference? And there's a big difference. Now, I, and I'm all for loving ourselves more, but it's taken me a good part of my life to get to that place of loving myself more. And liking ourselves more is a bit more appreciable. I did this workshop called the Hoffman Process, and it's a, I think it was four or five days, and you, did, you weren't allowed to tell anyone what you did. So we were all anonymous that way right, until the very end. And it's all about loving yourself more. It's again and again and again and again, which I could appreciate. And at the end, I was talking with about five people and I was describing the Feldenkrais method. And I said, really what I do is I help people like themselves more. And they all went, oh, that sounds a lot easier. So that's why it's like yourself more. And of course, hopefully it leads to loving yourself more, you know, and it's the same thing. It's like, and this, this is a paradox, but the work you do that I do, it's like, if I don't really need other people to see me, why'd I write a book? Well, I wrote the book so other people would benefit from it, right? And it's like, if it's not for the benefit of others, but then of course, it's the real world. I have to be seen can I read you a letter? Oh, please. Sure. So, uh, this isn't in the book. So, the, my, my good friend who helped with all the illustrations and the formatting and stuff, one day he says to me, well, you don't have a forward in your book. And I said, I know. I said, I don't know who, and you know, I just haven't had time. I just wanted to get it out there. And he said to me, what about the Dalai Lama? And I, went, I looked at him, I said, are you out of your mind? The Dalai Lama? How can I? That's crazy. Well, about three months later, I'm thinking about it. And sure enough, his email and phone numbers on the internet. So I write this letter hmm. to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I write to you with the utmost respect and admiration with a request. If it's something you think would be of value in bringing more kindness to the world. I just published a book called Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. Many ask me if it's about compassion and empathy, and I say, of course. I tell them it's also about concrete ways to generate more kindness towards others and ourselves. 
things we can do every day to create a kinder world. You are part of the final chapter, Kindness and Spirituality. I've included a copy of this book along with this letter. Back to my request, asking with as much courage and humility as I can muster, with the understanding that it's likely too unrealistic, too large a request, realizing that before I even ask that it's not possible for you to fulfill, as you must receive many requests like this, and also knowing that it is only in asking that there is a small chance you could fulfill it. My book has no forward. Could you possibly write a forward for my book? I'm a little shocked at my own request. You do not know me. How do I, how do I have the nerve to ask such a thing from someone who represents so much to the world? Yet here I am humbly asking you for the benefit of others. Of course, reading the book is with the intention that it's for the benefit of others. But I'm not so naive to not acknowledge that it would also be a benefit to me. So if you gave me even a few words that I could use as a forward to this book, I would commit to giving half of all the profits from my book to any cause or charities that you think would most benefit from a financial contribution. I thank you in advance just for reading this letter. Any response at all from you would be a great gift for me. And if you're so inclined to write something for me, well, I really have no words to express my thanks. Other than, if it helped even in a little way to bring more kindness in the world, it would bring me joy and great satisfaction. So I sent that out and uh, I waited a couple of months and then I emailed it with a PDF of the book and I'm still waiting. And But the thing that I realized, it's like, and then I even thought, what if I gave them a hundred percent of the profits? It's like, then it's not about me trying to gain something, you know, it's, so it's, 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 how do we get out of our own way? Cause our whole culture is built on being seen and being special and stuff like, which has its place. I'm not, I don't want to, you know, say that's wrong or anything like that, but to feel, how can we each be in a place where we feel good enough about ourselves that I don't need that confirmation from someone else? as much right? right yeah i think that is so well said and it's one of the things that you're right when you write a book or like you have a podcast you do things like this everyone assumes based on what's projected everywhere else that you're doing it for some sort of uh you know self uh glory or you know some sort of vain glory yeah. Yeah. you know i gotta tell you the i went to a uh, to an event here not too long ago and it was a by invitation only deal with some content creators and really great event. I was shocked. I got asked to go. Uh -huh. And when I would meet people that were there that would tell me, well, I'm just trying to get started in podcasting or whatever podcasting or whatever their, their discipline was. I would immediately say, come on my show. I mm -hmm. want if I, it, cause I, it, this platform that I've built, that is not that I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't care about being Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. Love what I like, you know, or, or James Altucher, who I love his show and, uh, and just all these, these guys that, that are huge. For me, it is now a significant enough platform to where you having you on, I hope will benefit you and get your message out. And I, I and when you shift that focus of, okay, I'm going to build something that is of value that I can then go, no. Alan, I hope this helps you, whatever yeah. I can do to help. Yeah. Um, it's that old Zig Ziglar quote of if you help enough people get what they want, you have everything you want. I yeah. don't really, I don't want or need a lot, but if it, but focusing on 
helping others. And it's just the avenue you and I, you, you and I have chosen. We've, we've chosen right. mass communication yeah. as a way. I always yeah. talk about like, the things that I love, like learning this, I mean, I am going to definitely do more research on Feldenkrais and, and start some practicing. And who knows, maybe I'll hit you up with Santa Fe. If you, you know, I would, I would love for uh, go look at some great art, eat some good food and come get some Feldenkrais on with Alan, you know? And you just have to come when I'm home because I'm gone four to five months out of the year teaching. So, well, but now- yeah. That'd be great. We could hang out for sure. Here's another thing. Uh, I may hit you up in France. You know, I mean, I, I don't know which parts you hit, but uh, Jim and my wife and I, we do like France and we love the, we love Provence. And so we're, mm-hmm. we, uh, so, so that would, I think it's a fantastic excuse to, to, to take a trip over there shortly. <laughs> Come and visit. I'm there two to three times a year in Belgium and in France. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scheduled to be there for another three years like that. So. Where are you whenever you go to France? Are you in Paris or you go out? No, I'm in, directly in the, the Cantal region, which is directly south of Paris right. in an old volcanic region, a small village, about 30,000 people, beautiful. Which, really which, nice. which is it? Aurillac, it's called. Okay. Okay. Uh, and in Brussels, I'm in, I'm in, in Belgium, I'm in Brussels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to. We'll have to find, well, okay, that's good. I can build, I can go over there and see the European Union and check out, have it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. check you out. Yeah. I like, I like where this is going. Okay. Um, but I just, I, well, this has been a blast for me, Alan. I, and I do hope that uh, my little corner of the world that I occupy out here on the interwebs and in the podcast world, that I hope it benefits you and your work. Before we go, I want to make sure that. We have everyone knows where to get your book, how to contact you, how to learn. You know, I, I have seen your series of videos on Feldenkrais and I've looked mm-hmm. through. Some of those. So how can people stay in touch with you and follow your work? Okay. So the book, the easiest thing is to go to the website for it, practicing-kindness.com. And it's sold on Amazon as a paperback, as a, not a Kindle, a Kindle. I like to say that. And an audio book as well. And, um, my Feldenkrais work, you can go to UncommonSensing.com. You can read about that there. You can just Google my name and you'll find lots of places to find me for that. And uh, yeah, if you're interested, you can contact me through the websites as well. And uh, thank you for the, for the interview. It's been really a joy for me to do it. I really liked your questions and our conversation. It felt really great. Well, likewise, and I hope it's not the last one. You, I would love to have you back. This has been, this is... Uh, filled me up as well and thanks for having me so i guess with that i'm gonna do a quick sign off and then and sit tight i'll say goodbye to you once i finish that up right. everyone thank you so much for tuning into the jason wright show until we meet again never stop endeavoring to improve always in always including practicing intentional kindness i'm jason he's alan we're out thanks for joining us bye-bye <laughs>